Um, you never know where your next paycheck is going to come from. And so you're in a constant hustle mode. And yes. what it does is it never gives you the music business never gives you any real stability mm. unless you have like some massive hit and you make $10 million. And then if you know how to spend it and you know, all right, don't blow it and, and be you know, responsible. Sure. Right. Then you're good. But that's like, that truly is the, the outlier. Um, you mm -hmm. know, most of us are working people. And, and even if you make several hundred thousand a year or even half a million or a million dollars a year, whatever, you're still kind of like, you know, your expenses are high and you never know it can stop in one month. And that mm -hmm. I sort of learned that through the Beyonce right. um, project. And I said, I, I want to create a business that will, will last. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business podcast i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business Today, my guest is DJ Swivel. He is a producer, engineer, songwriter, most notably for BTS, Beyonce, uh, I mean, the Chainsmokers, Mary J. Blige, Kanye, Fabulous, Bow Wow, Redman, Jay-Z, Ghostface Killer. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, Mariah Carey. Uh, I've, I've just, you could just read the list on his, on his Wikipedia. It's insane. Um, we talked a lot about getting started in the industry as a producer engineer and what it takes and what that means. He also talked about diversifying your business and what it means to make it in the new music business. Of course, the final question I ask everybody, his answer was, was really interesting and you're going to get a ton of value from that. So don't turn this off halfway through. You're going to want to listen to the very end of it. We also go deep into the LA versus New York versus Atlanta versus Nashville versus Miami battle discussion and it got heated. No, no, no. This was this was really good and and he gave some really great insight uh to what these scenes are shaping up to look like and why he moved from New York to LA. I really enjoyed our conversation and I learned a lot. I think you're going to dig it. As always, please subscribe, like, follow the show. However you're listening to this right now, just pause it, click that follow button, click that subscribe button, leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Those really help. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find the entire crew at Ari's Take on TikTok. Now we're on TikTok. Instagram and Twitter, just look up Ari's Take. Our handles are different on all the platforms. We couldn't grab those quick enough. Damn squatters. Anyway, visit ariestake.com and sign up for the email list. That's where you're going to get the most up-to-date information. That email list is crucial to stay updated with everything that's happening in the new music business. And you get notified about new podcast episodes and new articles and comparisons and all that stuff. All right, let's kick into the show. DJ Swivel, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate so it. where are you? Right, You're in LA, right? 
I am in Los Angeles right now. Um, okay. You know, wish I could travel more, but we're all <laughs> in the same boat. So right, um, yeah. I'm in LA too, and I, I just finished a record uh, with my producer who lives 15 minutes down the road, and we did it the in- entirety through Zoom, through virtually, Zoom. <laughs> and audio movers. Uh, have you worked with audio movers yet? Have you done that that virtual I, kind of session know, people stuff are, yet? I keep hearing about it and that it's yeah. like super helpful and, and great. I haven't really had a need because yeah. most of the time um, when I'm mixing records, people are sending me files and I don't really need, you know, I can just do a mix and send it off. Um, sure. And usually when I'm collaborating, I, I, uh, I'll just jump on like a FaceTime with somebody and say, Hey, here's what I would like you to try. Cut that vocal a little differently, more like this. Mm -hmm. And then they do it and then they send it back and I work with what I have. Cause most of your productions, you're pretty much doing it all on your own and then sending it off. Then they send notes and you kind of tweak and update and then send it back off. I mean, if I collaborate, uh, you know, I just wrote a song yesterday that I collaborated with uh, two other people on Mm -hmm. and you know, one, one, the guitar player played a guitar part um, uh, the vocalist, uh, wrote, wrote some stuff and then it Mm -hmm. came to me and I built out the production and then I sent it back to the vocalist and say, said, you know, did some vocal production. Hey, I need these harmonies. I need these ad libs. Uh, can you sing this part differently? Then she does that, sends it back to me and then we're all Mm -hmm. good. If I need an additional guitar part, I'll send it, you know, so I kind of, that's just how I've found working works and sure. You know, but I keep hearing about audio movers, and I mean, I'm, I'm it was fine for us. I, I I work very differently. Uh, I'm a singer songwriter, and so this was this was a, a lot of the record was done fairly organically in the sense where uh, you know the producer um, it wasn't necessarily he would make the entire track and send it over. It was like he'd be literally on the drums, and I'd be like yelling like "Go to the ride," and he could hear that in real time because we were all working through. Um, you know, the talk back and the auto movers and you could hear the entire session in real time, which, which worked. Um, how do you run your songwriting sessions these days? I haven't actually talked to someone who's done a successful virtual songwriting session where it's felt good. I mean, are they working? Is it, is it going for you? Yeah. Well, you know what, even when I'm in a room with a songwriter, um, I find it distracting, like, talk like i mean sure you know you get some melodies down you talk about what the song's about but when it comes to actually getting lyrics down i find like i need to just get in my own zone and write mm-hmm. and what i usually encourage if even if i'm literally physically in a room with a songwriter is usually what i do is i create a shared uh note in on iphone or whatever mm-hmm. and um share it and they can see my edits and I can see theirs, but Mm -hmm. their stuff is like at the top and then mine's below. And I write my version of a song. They write their version with the same, you know, with the same vision. Like this song Mm -hmm. is about X. And so we write about that and then we'll like look. And then once like, Oh, you, she's got a verse. I got a verse. Mm -hmm. Let's look at them. Like, you know, if, if we're all on the same subject, she might have two lines that are brilliant and, and two that are kind of like throwaway. And I might have two that are brilliant. And so I find that it's best like work on your own and then come Mm. together and, and P and, you know, put it together that way. But you know, everyone has their own thing. So have you been doing a fairly active, uh, sessions? You've been fairly active the last year or so. Yeah. Yes. And no. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very active across all the things that I'm doing, but because of, you know, I, I have really taken the approach of, of building my business out in, in 
yes. like other ways rather than just reinforcing, all right, I'm just going to focus a hundred percent on songwriting. Right. And so, um, yes, I've been actively writing and producing, uh, but I am still juggling six other things. And so, right. Uh, while I am actively doing it, I'm actively doing it with maybe only 25% of my bandwidth rather than a hundred. Sure, so it's still, sure. it's still limited compared to, you know, other writers who are like, all they do is wake up and write. Uh, and, and we're going to get to all the other endeavors, uh, businesses yeah. that you're running. And it's funny. I just had a call with Omri of, of, uh, Skio. Uh, oh, my, the, my partner. I talked to him yesterday. I, I love, right. Yeah. We're, we're probably partnering. This was like totally serendipitous. There's just like no, no overlap or connection that we knew that w- this was happening. And like when I was doing your research and I'm like, oh shit, he co-founded Skio. And I literally had a call with him two days ago. I'm just like, oh, that's <laughs> totally random. Okay, cool. We're going to yeah, have to, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah talk I love about Omri that, and, and what they're doing at Skio is incredible. And I'm, yeah. we're actively, you know, for the first five years growing Skio, I was actively involved on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've taken like more of a step back. Omri's like got, you know, full control of everything and, and he's crushing it. Um, and so now we're looking more for ways. How can we collaborate? How can Skio support what DJ Swivel's doing? How can DJ Swivel support what Skio is doing? And, and we try to find those, those synergies that, that work together. Right. So because uh, Skio, for the listeners who are not familiar, I mean, you do remix contests, uh, you do uh, feedback where you can kind feedback, of pay. Feedback, insight like, reports, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which which I thought was was incredible. I love that the, the feedback is so detailed because you have actual like professionals in the field, like producers who have that ear and can give you two to three pages of feedback. Yeah. Uh, it's not just like a sentence or two like you'd get on Submit Hub from right, somebody who right. has no idea what they're talking about. Whereas like the producer can be like, yeah, you're going to want to adjust that EQ at, you know, and like, yeah. and, and actually knows and, and works in the field. So that, that's cool. And I, and I love the, the model. I'm just being introduced to it now. Um, but it's a, it's a really cool thing. So you said you, you co-founded that five years ago or so it's been around. Yeah, it would have been early 2015. Okay. Yeah. yeah and early 2015. That's what's so interesting about you. And, uh, is that, Someone who's had so as much success as you have in production, in engineering, mixing, songwriting, all of that, uh, you you've chosen to diversify in various business endeavors. I'm curious uh, when that started to happen and and why you decided to uh, pursue these other endeavors in addition to the the work you you do um, as a producer, engineer, songwriter? Sure. Um, well, uh, I would say I was always, I, I, I grew up with uh, the entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was always that in me. I never enjoyed the idea of working for somebody. I've had a few jobs in my life, but not many. Um, like job jobs where I report mm-hmm. to a, a boss. Sure. Um, I suppose in music, when you're working with an artist, they are temporarily your boss, but in reality, you're still running your own business and you are yep. a contractor. So it's quite, it's quite a bit different. Um, and so, so the, that was already there in just in my being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sort of the catalyst to really pursue more of that in music, like, like outside of my core focus of writing, producing, mixing, engineering, all, all the stuff that I was doing, um, was really when I finished 
the Beyonce album four in, mm-hmm. I guess that it would have been finished in 2011. I did a couple things with her towards the end of 2011, early 2012. Um, and then, you know, like she had a child and, you know, she's not the type of artist to like drop and then go right back in. Like she drops yep. an album and lets it, it's a body of work. It lives for a few years and she might go and tour and do other things. Um, yeah. In this case, I don't even, she, she didn't really tour off the back of four because she was pregnant, sure. but, um, you know, she did a, a number of shows to, to push the album and then, and then went and had a baby and, and was a mom. So, um, what I found was, you know, when you work with an artist like, like Beyonce, you, it, it's a full-time gig. It is 24 seven. You are on call like whenever you are needed, you are required. And, mm. um, that, and I embrace that. Uh, but prior to working with her, I was actually, you know, fairly well known in the New York circle of, of engineers as like one of those guys, like all the labels sure. would call me. And every week I would have two days with this client and three days with this client and a week with that client and one day with this client. And I was, I was working on all sort sorts of different music and regularly mm-hmm. booked. When I worked mm. with Beyonce, I could no longer take other gigs. I was she. Mm. I mean, she's a beast when she gets into record mode, and right. uh, we were working like seven days a week. Like we might get mm-hmm. one day off every, like two days off a month, maybe. Mm. Wow. So we're working weekends, wow. we're working late nights, we're we're doing all that. So I couldn't possibly manage um, to do that and continue to do sessions with my regular clients. So my regular clients for that year and a half or however long I was working, working with B, um, they had to go find another engineer because I was no longer available. And though Mm. then what happened was when B finished her record, you know, I thought naively that, Oh, album's done nominated for a Grammy, all this big stuff. Number one artist in the world, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my phone's going to be ringing nonstop. Like, Mm. of course, it's just going to happen that way. And like, it didn't, it was the complete opposite. My phone was silent. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was not busy at all. And largely because I essentially had to alienate my clients for, for Mm. that I had built up for years, um, in order to work with B, um, and then, you know, when she stops working, she's, it's not like she's Kanye where she's producing other artists and, and doing other things. When she's done, sure. she's off onto something else. So that reco- that kind of forced me to really rethink my approach to the music business. Mm. And what it taught me was that um, it can be taken away real, real quick. Um, and not even by malicious intent or anything, just like the nature of the business is very, you know, one day yep. you're in, one day you're out. It's, it's, you know, if that client disappears and you don't have anything to back it up, you know, you're kind of stuck. So, um, that forced me to rethink and it took, I have to admit it, it didn't happen overnight. It took me a few years to really, um, embrace the idea of growth and moving on and change. Mm. And so it took a number of years. Um, and I did do a few things in the middle. Like I was doing some consulting for a, a marijuana company, uh, that was publicly traded and doing some, uh, endorsement deals for them. They mm. were leveraging my connections in music to go and get artists to support their brand. So I did a, cool. a big, you know, like deal with Rick Ross and, and, and a number of things like that. So mm-hmm. I, that kind of dipped my toes more into what was happening on the, on the business side and taught me that, oh, okay, there's a number of opportunities that music has, has opened the door for that I now just have to embrace. And so then, mm. um, I had a trip, I, I kind of felt stagnant in New York and I had a, um, 
I took a trip to Vancouver to visit some friends mm-hmm. and one of my, fr- uh, a very good friend of mine, his wife worked for an ad agency in Vancouver. And while I, I was staying with them for the week, uh, she said, Hey, like we have this pitch meeting, this music company is coming in to pitch our, our boardroom, uh, their new startup. And we're, we have a new initiative where we are providing in-kind service for, uh, investment in a, in these new startups that we believe mm-hmm. in. Would you mind coming in and being our you know, you're here, you're not doing much. You, you want to come in and just let us know, is this a legit business? Does it feel sure. like it has a space in music? And I went in, I heard their pitch and, um, I thought it was a brilliant idea that was like, maybe not quite facing the right direction. It just needed a little bit of a pivot. So I, after the meeting was done, I sent the CEO who is actually Omri's brother, his mm-hmm. older brother, um, a, uh, just an email saying, Hey, listen, I appreciate the, you coming in today. And, and, um, I have some ideas. Would you want to grab a beer and just chat ideas? It wasn't really appropriate to, to do it in the board meeting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said, sure. And then we did. And I shared some of my ideas. He's like, I love this. I want you to come in as a co-founder. So I made an investment and, mm. you know, I put my money where my mouth is and, sure. and I said, I believe in this and I, I think I can help. And so that's, cool. that's where it, where it all happened. And then from there I started, that was like the thing that said, all right, I can do this in a number of places. I don't have yeah. to only do one thing anymore. Yeah. That was a long-winded head- answer, but no, yeah. no, it was great. He did headliner magazine and um no, but but I and the plugins we're gonna get to in, in a bit. But um I think it's really important and I appreciate your candor with that and I appreciate the transparency. Uh, because for a lot of younger emerging producers, uh, especially and songwriters and artists, um they probably see anybody with a gold platinum record, a Grammy. They're like, oh, they're set for life. They've made it. And yeah, it's it really, nothing. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's so important for, for, um, younger artists, producers to understand and realize is that it's a grind. It's a constant hustle. The diversification of what you've done with your business is so crucial and important. And I think there, for some reason, there's this, this stigma um, it's primarily amongst younger artists getting started, uh, younger people in music getting started, that if you're not making your 100% of your income doing your art or doing your craft and just doing the music that you you set out is like that's on your, your name tag, it's in your, you know, then you are still, uh, then you're not worthy necessarily. Right. And I, I like always point to, you know, well, because Dre has beats, does that mean that, you know, because it's a side business, does that mean he's not worthy of music because he's not, you know, 100% is not coming from his production work anymore? It's like, no, that's right. absurd. But like, yeah. but that's, but that's what everyone essentially does at some point. And it's just so important because the nature of how the music industry is structured, like you said, the phone just stopped ringing after beat. Now, I'm curious with, um, with, uh, having been that experience, going from the regular sessions, uh, one after another, week here, a couple days here and there, and and that grind, versus the Beyonce twenty four seven grind, when you're speaking to younger producers or engineers who may be at a crossroads and have an opportunity to do the hustle, the freelance, the multiple clients, ongoing, or take the take a a gig that might be much more long-term, but they'd have to cancel all the rest of their projects and may get replaced like you did, what would you advise? 
Um, I mean, look, uh, it's a, it's a gift and a curse, right? And so you have mm-hmm. to weigh, weigh your, weigh your options. Um, I think it is better to do, to work with a number of different people because you have your hand in a number of things and you never know when one of those indie artists that you're working with is going to blow up. And like, sure. I mean, that happened with the chain smokers. I mean, I was working with them when they weren't. They weren't, they, they had the selfie record out, but mm-hmm. roses don't, let, none of that. Like I, we did all that, that music. And so that was one of those things where it was like, we were all kind of like starting out in a way again. Yeah. And I was focused with them as a, as a, they were like, not my first, but one of the first, like th- actually they were the first big mix client I had after Beyonce. Not to say I had, I had mixed some other major label stuff in between then, but they were the thing that like that's another a level, like huge, huge project. But when we started, it wasn't, it was just, Mm. you know, it was just another thing. Like, Hey, I like the music. I like the guys. And I love the, uh, the story time that you, you you told of that on your YouTube channel for anyone listening and wants to hear the story of how you started working with chain smokers. It's a great story. Go, go to DJ swivel's YouTube channel and, and and listen, watch that story. It was great. I love the story time sessions that you do. (laughs) Of course. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, going back to your, your, your question, um, mm-hmm. that being said, I, 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 you know, let's not pretend like working with Beyonce is a privilege yes. and has afforded me some incredible opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you have to, you have to weigh the pros and cons. I think, you know, I was going into it blind, right? I think if you go into it with, with preparedness that, um, mm. When this is done, when the project is done, there is no obligation that you are going to come back. There is no, um, uh, you don't know how your business is going to adapt. And mm-hmm. so it's just important to, to be aware of that. And, and maybe had I known that prior to going in, maybe I would have made certain decisions differently, or maybe I would have kept the door open with some of my older clients and, and may, maybe maybe I would have used that as an opportunity to train a new engineer to say, "Hey, guys, you like I'm I I might be busy right now, but this is my assistant, and he's a beast or she's mm-hmm. a beast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Use use him or her, and I will I will stand behind it. And if there's any issues, I will jump in and I'll be able to manage it um, softly, like you know, without using a ton of my bandwidth on the side. Sure. Maybe that's an approach I, I could have taken." Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, you got to learn somewhere. And so that was a huge learning experience for me. Um, so I would say everybody has to make their own decision. You know, mm-hmm. there is nothing bad about working with a singular client at that level at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind, she was, she was keeping me busy like 27 days a month or more. Yeah. So, um, I knew that financially it was going to be a good situation uh, I just didn't anticipate uh, the next thing, but you know it's a lesson learned, and and it and it sure. and it forced me to become uh, a better version of myself, right? It mm. forced me to double down on more of these other ancillary businesses. Yes, um, and I have a whole philosophy on like how I approach like taking on a new business, which we can get into. But so um, uh, yeah, no, that that's great, and that's that's incredibly helpful. Um, I'm curious about. Um, for emerging producers, engineers, um, 
getting started in this day and age, 2021, like I know when you got started, uh, you finished Full Sail 2004, 2005 and moved straight to New York. In August 2005, I graduated, or end of July 2005, I graduated. And then you you went to New York and, and immediately you got an internship or so, uh, working like 100 hours a week or so, right? Well, not not quite. So, okay. well, I did go to New York and have an immediate internship, but I got that because I had gone to New York a few months prior to graduation on spring break mm-hmm. to one, line up an apartment and two, um, take some meetings at studios and, cool. you know, let them know, Hey, I'm going to be graduating soon and, and being proactive about finding an internship. Mm-hmm. So I actually moved to New York. I had an internship right away. Um, but it was at a studio that wasn't really primarily working on the music that I cared about. Mm-hmm. They were working on a lot of jazz music and things like that. It was a beautiful studio and, and sure. a well-built space and, on the Lower East Side, and it was very, very nice. But um, I didn't see a lot of upward mobility, and I didn't mm. really see a lot of artists coming through that I cared about. And so I thought, you know, why am I working in music if I don't love the music? I have to be around artists that I want to be around. And so mm-hmm. I quit two months into the internship because I just felt like, you know, this is not the place I want to be. I didn't feel happy. Sure. Um, I felt like it was just work. And I was like, this isn't supposed to feel like work. I love making music at home. Why yes. do I not love coming to this stupid studio every day? Mm-hmm. So um, then I, do- I started taking more interviews and stuff. And then I landed an internship with Duro. And mm-hmm. so that's, I credit Duro with, with pretty much my entire career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, that internship that he uh, afforded me, that was the thing that everything was built off of. So the mm. first internship was almost like a, that was like a trial run. It was a practice run. Sure, and then I like sure. forgot about that and, uh, and, and got this job with Duro and that sort of opened up the whole world to me. And I love being there. So I, I, I get the, the, the value, um, of interning with someone like Duro who is in the lane and that you want to be in and the artists who are coming in, there are artists that you would like to work with and, and how you were able to leverage that. Uh, yeah. into future work. Now, um, I'm curious how you made that work 100 hours a week in New York City. Uh, it's unpaid. So the the question is, how did you pay rent and eat during this time period? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is I had a very supportive mother who um, for my first year in New York, for 12 months, she paid for everything. Now I had a very small studio apartment. The rent was mm-hmm. not like not that high. Um, and you know, eating, you know, I wasn't like I was eating filet mignon every day. I, sure. I was eating, you know, ramen and just normal, like, you know, pizza pockets and hot right. pockets and things like <laughs> right. that, you know, normal college kind of, uh, food. Um, mm-hmm. and I was taking the, the subway and walking to the studio and, uh, my, my, my monthly expenses, I kept incredibly low. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was supporting me. Uh, having said that though, you know, I paid for, um, a significant, well, I paid for a good part of my schooling from money that I had made with part-time jobs in high school. I, I was mm-hmm. never, I was always encouraged to, uh, treat money with respect. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I was never really, I was encouraged to save. My, my mom got me a savings account when I was six years old 
And I remember I had the bank book that you would go and you'd go to the ATM machine, you'd deposit your $20 <laughs> or whatever, and then you'd put the book in and it would print your record on the book. So I, like, I, like at six years old, I was being taught and my sister, um, she worked at the bank. And so mm-hmm. every day I would save my allowance, my $5 a week or whatever it was, uh, for months and months and months. And then I would go in, I would deposit, you know, $50 after like Mm -hmm. three months or whatever it Mm was. Um, and sure, like I would spend a little bit of money here. I might go to the store and buy a bag of candy or something like that. But the, but I was encouraged to save and and be respectful of money from the beginning. And I was taught, and I'm very fortunate. I was, I was taught that not everybody is raised in a family like that. And so I, I'm, I'm very lucky. Mm Um, but these are all, skills that anybody can learn. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, and that, that's, um, it's, it's so wonderful that you had that support early on. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now of, of maybe emerging producers who may not come from means or may not have, um, a family who's, who's able to, or willing to, uh, support them. How would how would you advise somebody to break in as a producer, as an engineer in this day and age? Uh, are internships still the way to go? Yeah. What do you do today? Yeah. So I I still believe in the power of an internship mm-hmm. uh, because when you're learning, right? You're you're working in a music. The studio world is a fairly high stress environment. At least it can be at times. Not always, but it can mm-hmm. be. And, you know, when you're in a high stress environment and there's a lot on the line, if you're, you know, you don't want to throw somebody in there who hasn't really learned the ropes. Mm. Going to school is not enough. School gives you, I say school gives you a foundation and it teaches you the necessary knowledge you need to get your internship. But then everybody in music does things a little differently. So when you get your internship, you're going to learn from hopefully a mentor or somebody, a studio manager, whoever who's going to teach you the way that they learn things and, and how they do things. And, um, and then you're going to go to other sessions. You're going to see how other people do things. And, and it's necessary to learn that and do it without having a cost on your head. Cause if people have to pay you for that, the moment you make one mistake and I promise you, everybody will make mistakes. Everyone sure. will do it. The moment you make a mistake if you make the wrong mistake, you're fired instantly. And not only are you fired instantly, it's a very small business. So people are going to tell, no, don't hire that guy. He mm. lost files or he, you know, he, like he dropped a microphone, damn it. Like whatever, it could be anything. Right. He's clumsy. You know, we had to pay to fix our $10,000 microphone. Like, uh, so I think having an internship where you are open-minded, you're, you are showing a willingness to learn and a hunger to be mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I think that is the best way to get you in the door. Um, and what I would say is like, look, my first week in my internship, I counted the hours. I worked almost 120 hours, like 118 hours or something. It was insane. I lived at the studio. I was doing 30 to 36 hour sessions every day. So mm-hmm. like 36 hours awake, six hours of sleep, wake up, have a bowl of cereal, jump back to the studio, 36, like another 30 hours. It was insane. <laughs> But you know what? I have such fond memories of that time and it it still to this day never felt like work. I was mm. so excited to just be in a studio. The first day I I ever worked, Fabulous and Styles P and DJ Clue came in working with Duro mm-hmm. to record the was it We Belong Together or 
Don't Forget About Us. One of the Mariah Carey remixes, whatever one Styles P and Fab was on. It might have been Don't Forget About Us. Uh-huh. Can't remember anymore. But um, uh, Clue did a remix and, and, and they came in. These are legends to me. I yeah. grew up listening to Styles and the Locks and Fabulous and like the, I'm fans. So even mm-hmm. though I never spoke to them, I just opened the door <laughs> and let them in. I was right. like, I feel like I'm home. I'm uh, in a place where these guys are coming in and out. This is home. I'm going to find a way to make this work. And so what I would say, going back to your story, is if I'm able to put 120 hours in a week, mm-hmm. that means you can do a full-time job for 40 and also be in the studio every other every other moment you're alive. And ideally, if you can find a job, a full-time job that has flexible hours, maybe mm-hmm. it's driving Uber, right? Mm-hmm. Uber and some of these like gig marketplace things right now, you know, they might not pay a ton of money, but you get to make your own hours. So that means you can be, you can intern in the studio as much as you need to. And mm-hmm. every moment you're not in there, you can be out earning, you know, po- Postmates or Lyft sure. or Uber, whatever it is. Yeah. So where there's a will, there's a way. But sure. it, re- but everybody I know who's made it had mm-hmm. that willingness, that drive to, to sacrifice their social life, sacrifice money, sacrifice everything for a passion that they really love. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that's sort of also the, the great filter, right? Like if, if you can't hang on an unpaid internship, well, you definitely can't hang with all the bullshit that we deal with in music. So I know you're not right for this job. I know you're not right for this business. And you know, my advice is to those, for those people is find something else that, that makes sense. But if you want to work, live and work in a studio, Mm -hmm. it's intense. It's intense. And it's not this like, hunky-dory thing that people, you know, it's not as romanticized as it sure. really is. What were some of the jobs that you were doing as an unpaid intern early on? Um, oh, you know, everything. Uh, mostly cleaning the studio, cleaning the toilets, you know, scrubbing the floors, the, you know, you name it. Going on food runs if an artist like, hey, I want this meal from here, going mm-hmm. and fetching it. You know, I was working with a lot of hip-hop artists, sometimes going on like blunt runs, like going and getting right. like like uh, blunt raps and things like that. Sure. Other times it's like, oh, you know, the 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 belt of on the vacuum cleaner at the studio is gone. Well, we're not going to buy a brand new vacuum cleaner. Go find a vacuum repair shop and go find some new belts <laughs> and figure out how to fix it. Yeah. Like a lot of it's that. And then of course, you know, once, you know, quit, I was in a very, in a great situation because it was Duro, his assistant and me. Mm. And so even though I was doing all the grunt work, um, in a bigger studio, you only get to do the grunt work. I was very fortunate because it was a small studio. So when he needed more hands on deck to manage a session, like setting mm-hmm. up microphones or keyboards or whatever, um, I was fortunate that even as a GA, I was able to do some of that, which is great. Mm-hmm. So I got my, I was juggling both. I, in the same day, I'd be, I'd be, um, painting the walls or, or vacuuming the floor as I would be setting up keyboards and microphones and getting an artist comfortable. So I, so- I, I loved it. I got to do all that. Yeah, and and um, <laughs> that's great. I I'm curious now. This is uh, it might be a challenging question. Uh, real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space, and let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I I got a full deep dive demo with the founder, and yeah, they're very innovative, and when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative, and they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world, 
They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less-than-legit pub admin services. Well, 2Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out 2Lost. You can just go to 2Lost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. The ethics behind unpaid internships. And I'm just going to preface that a little bit because uh, I had um, Jonathan Azu. He's a uh, artist manager. Uh, he's he's represented everyone from uh, Luke James, Corey Henry, Robert Randolph, uh, Anita Baker. Um, and he's represented artists of every scale, every level, mostly in hip hop, um, R and B that realm. Yeah. Um, and he spoke, you know, this was, we, we had our conversation, um, kind of right at the height of the, uh, George Floyd protests. Um, he's a black manager and he, you know, we were talking about the racial disparities in the music industry and, um, I'm like, okay, they're, you know, of the top 50, uh, people just on the business side necessarily, uh, there was, I think, one person of color, maybe two people of color, one black person of the top 50 uh, billboard top 50 uh, in, in music, that that list. And I'm like, OK, well, what where does this come from? Like, wh- how do we solve this? What is, and he brought up to me, he's like, well, who how do you know the companies? Who do they hire? They hire internally, typically, and they'll hire their interns. But the interns are typically all unpaid. So when you're looking at how you how you grow in a company, how you get the future jobs, you have to start somewhere. You start at the bottom, and the bottom is the unpaid internship. That's the step in the door. Who can afford to do unpaid internships? People who come from means and typically people who may come from a background um, or not as fortunate. And uh, a lot of people of color and in the black communities especially, they um, – you're seeing disproportionately coming from a place where there's not 
as much depth in the wealth where they can uh, support what you're talking about, the 120 hours a week of just doing that. Now, I, I fully acknowledge that you said, you know, there's a will, there's a way, and you can do the Uber and you can do that thing. But this is from, from Jonathan Azu mentioning that we should be doing away with the unpaid internship program at every level in the music industry across the board because it generates who's going to be getting future work and you're looking at, okay, uh, we're going to hire internally because I, you've had a tremendous career after this unpaid internship, so not discrediting that in the yeah. least. I'm just curious your thoughts on the ethics behind this and where we're at now. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of validity to his point, right? I, I don't disagree with that. But, um, I mean, look, a lot of business, a lot of internships, right? A lot of uh, the the places where people are interning can't afford to pay. I mean, the music business at the at the high level, sure. Mm -hmm. There's lots of money at the high level. If you go mm -hmm. get an un, if an unpaid internship at a at a record company like a, a big record company like a Republic or an Interscope or an Atlantic or something like that, sure. Mm -hmm. There is there I I see a completely valid argument to do away with that. These are billion dollar companies; they can afford to pay people. Yes, but a lot of studios are barely surviving, mm. and if you had to pay every GA who was there, they wouldn't be open. And so the question is, um, you know, like like you know what what do you, what do you do? I mean, you're kind of between yeah. a rock and a hard place. You pay these interns, you can't afford to pay your rent. Right. Look at all the studios in New York. They all shut down because yeah. rents kept going up. Law firms and accounting firms and 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 all this stuff kept flooding in and and mm -hmm. and uh, raising the rents of all these these places. Music, the creative fields, could no longer support it. And so, mm. ninety percent of studios in New York have shut down because they couldn't mm. pay their rent. And that was with unpaid interns. Sure. Right. So I I fundamentally disagree with it um, in the in the studio space. And the reason I disagree with it is because so many, there is such high demand for those jobs and there are so few of those jobs. Fundamentally and disagree you with really what? Wa What's that? Fundamentally disagree with what? I with fundamentally disagree with the idea that you, you should pay all interns in studios. Got it. Now I, I, so music industry is a wide, wide industry, right? Yes. I agree Record labels should not be taking advantage of that. These are billion dollar companies with plenty of money and 100%. it's not any one person's money. It's not like yes. it's a CEO's money. It's shareholders money. Yes. They can afford to pay, right? 100%. And and it, and they should. Yes. Um, but a, a, a recording studio or, or often it's not even a studio. It's like a guy. It's an, right. it's a, it's an engineer. I want to apprentice with an engineer so I can learn those skills. Well, I'm essentially, I view it as I'm, my payment is my education, mm -hmm. the, the network that I'm going to build, the relationships I'm going to build and the skills that I'm going to learn. Um, and if somebody's willing to spend $50,000 a year on, on education, mm -hmm. you should be more than willing to do an unpaid internship because actually the education from an unpaid internship with somebody at a high level who is, who is, um, you know, who you admire and, 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 and could be your mentor or whatever is so much more valuable than going through an education, um, process, which could right. end up costing you 200 grand in student loans that you cannot, 
Um, you know, you can't claim bankruptcy and avoid them. You can't like, I mean, there's yes. all these laws against, you know, so, um, no, you make a really good point. And, and yeah. I, I appreciate that you, uh, distinguished between the multi-billion dollar, uh, corporations that with shareholders and your independent studio that is scraping by. Now, full disclosure, I've had plenty of unpaid interns myself that have worked yeah. under me uh, throughout my entire career. There was no way I could afford to pay them. I couldn't hire, I couldn't afford to hire anybody, but but people were clamoring to come work with me to see behind the curtain, how is he doing this? What is happening? How is this done? Yeah. And, you know, being in, in California, I made sure to check the, the set, I think it's seven boxes of like the requirements for unpaid internships that they're learning more than you know, getting all that stuff. But that being said, I completely get it. And I think it's a really important distinction for everybody listening in the music industry of just like, if you can afford it, and if you're at a, a corporation, the, the value proposition of what the interns mean to you and what you're providing to them, but but more so if you can afford that, that should be put on your, your line items of, of something that is going to go on your expenses. But and the other side, we're now in like the creative realm where there's everybody is kind of just kind of scraping through that. Um, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. And I'll give you a, a tangible example. About a year and a half ago, um, oh yeah, uh, about a year and a half ago or something, um, I had somebody reach out to me on my site. Now I try to make myself available. Obviously, when you're when you're doing the things in the creative field, so producing, mixing, mm -hmm. um, you know. There's no way to scale those businesses. So the only way to really make money mm. um, or, or, to, or, or to scale is to raise your price, right? Yeah. And so the top mixers, the top producers, they're making really, really great money and whatever. But I mm -hmm. always felt like it was really valuable for me to find a way to connect with people who maybe couldn't afford my mix rate or my production rate. Mm. That doesn't mean that the music they don't make is valuable. And so how do I find a way to connect with them? And so I have a few ways. On my website, you can actually, um, I actually did one of them earlier today. Uh, you can, you can, you can order a Skype session with me where you have mm -hmm. an hour of my time for whatever you want. You want me to listen to your music, critique it, give mm -hmm. you mixed notes, whatever it is, you can buy that. You can also buy, um, for like a hundred dollars feedback on a song. Now mm -hmm. I can't, I don't have the time to spend five to 10 to 12 hours mixing your song, uh, cause you don't have the budget. Sure. But for a hundred dollars, I can give you a detailed written note of all the things that I think you can do to improve the song. That's probably, um, I, I think that's good value. And to be honest, like it's not the amount of time that I put into it. It doesn't really equate, but mm -hmm. I still continue to do it because, um, I feel like it's important to nurture those people who are just coming out of school who maybe can't afford, you know, thousands of dollars for certain things, but sure. you know, maybe they can afford a hundred dollars. Okay. Yes. And, and I want to make sure that I'm providing more than, more than enough value for it. So anyways, I say that to say an intern who I hired, he actually, he, um, he booked me for a, a, a the way I hired him is he booked me for a video session Cool. and I had publicly said, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, uh, an intern, you know, needs these skills, blah, blah, blah. He followed me on, on social media. Uh -huh. So he booked a session and paid for it. Mm -hmm. And I got him, I, I said, Hey, like here, here's your, your time. Like, how would you like to spend the time? I want to provide as much value as I can. And he said, honestly, I saw you were looking for an intern. I thought this would be a way to stand out. I was like, Oh wow. He's like, so <laughs> would you mind, would you mind interviewing me? I was like, 
absolutely. Like, no problem. And I interviewed him and he was like super smart, well-mannered, had the right temperament. I could tell he was eager. He wanted it bad and he showed it by taking that extra step. Now, granted, he paid me for it, right? right? But I was like, (laughs) you know what? It wasn't the fact that he paid me. He didn't pay me for an internship. It was the resourcefulness to say, Mm -hmm. I know he got, because I got probably a hundred resumes and cover letters. It's like, how do I stand out from those hundred other people? I was like, you know what? That is enough. Now he Mm. had to save several hundred dollars to to do it. Yes. But he got the internship, right? Now, Mm. fast forward. He interned for me regularly. Um, He was pretty much regularly up until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, I was being very careful. I'm, I have asthma, so I was, you know, I just sure. didn't want people around. So he had he hasn't been here since co- for almost a year. But I still talk to him all the time. I sp- he's actually from the UK. I mm. sponsored him for a visa. Wow. Right. So I got him a visa to America. Yeah. He moved to LA, and I got him in the mix. He started building relationships with people around me. And now some of the artists, one of the artists from the UK, actually, who I mixed, now he's mixing their stuff. Wow. And that all, nice. you know, like, cool. um, all like through a lot of the relationships that he, he built with me, he's been able to start, you know, get his career going. Now he's not there yet. Right. He still has yeah. a, a long ways to go, but you know, I feel confident that he has learned the skills and built the relationships he needs to go and become successful. I still mm. continue to sponsor him for a visa cause I want to support him. Cool. And I think he's amazing. And, and, um, and I try to help him in any way I can. If he like, he'll, he'll do a mix, he'll send it to me and say, Hey, can you give me notes on this? I want to make sure I nail this for them. And I do, I give him all the notes I possibly can. I don't charge him for it. I, don't, I just do it because yeah. he's given me so much value back by being a good intern and, and whatever. Yes. So I love that, you know, it goes both ways. Yes. Um, and so, but I do understand, um, the point. And I think we have to make a distinction between the, the type of business. Yeah. Yes, no, and and I love that, and and it's it's so crucial. Um, but so you mentioned scaling, and you mentioned there's no way for a producer to scale. Uh, however, um, you've built up a plugin business, which is almost in essence kind of a way that you could somehow it well, you're expanding the business. Obviously, you can't produce multiple projects. You hit the but- nail on the head. That's because so, I can't scale the other business. This is a business <laughs> I can scale. Yeah. So talk about the plugin business because uh, that's in full swing now. You don't just have one plugin. You have multiple. You have packs, and you have. Uh, you're also doing sample packs and uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. So so speak to that side of the business and um, and and like where that's headed and and what all that that side of the business is to you. Sure. So you know the plugins is sort of a the, um, amalgamation of all of the entrepreneurial stuff that I thought about and how Mm -hmm. I want to approach my business. And I, one thing I said earlier is I have a philosophy on how I approach taking on a new facet of my business. If I'm going to do anything new, Mm -hmm. it has to, um, in, in order for me to take something, take on something new, it has to meet two criteria. One is, uh, whatever the new venture is, it must reinforce my brand as a producer. So Mm. whatever I'm doing, it must, it must reinforce and add value to my, my brand as a, as a creator, as somebody Mm -hmm. who sits and makes tracks and writes songs and produces them and mixes them. Sure. The inverse of that is it also needs to take advantage of the fact that I am a successful producer 
right? So they have to complement one another. Mm. And so Skio does that, right? I can lend credibility to a business like Skio, mm -hmm. but Skio also reinforces who I am as a producer. Hey, they create a platform that gets to that helps put me on a pedestal and say, this is a thought leader in the in the mu music business. This is somebody who is trying to um, innovate and do something mm -hmm. new and interesting. And this is something, somebody who you want to, you want to be, you want to work with. If you yes. are a creator, you want to work with somebody like this, mm -hmm. right? And so Skio was sort of, well, Headliner was actually the beginning of all of it. I have to say Headliner was first. The magazine. Um, the, the magazine online. that I yeah, started. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that I used to write an article in it every month. And, uh, that article reinforces my space as a, uh, my, my, uh, my brand as a thought leader in the music space. Yes. Um, and then Skio was on top of that. And then I continued to think like, all right, how do I, you know, the creative space in, in, at least in pop and, and, and contemporary music mm -hmm. is, is occupied by young people. Now, mm -hmm. granted there are super producers who are older than me and, and, and are still working. Like you have the Timberlands and the, and the Rick Scott Storches and, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. the uh, Swiss Beats is, and, and things sure. like that. But um, largely when you look at the music that is, that is shifting the culture, it's young people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm 36 years old now. Uh, one of these days I'm going to stop getting calls mm. to mix music or produce. Cause there's going to be a 25 year old who's doing something super innovative and amazing. And, and mm -hmm. they're going to occupy that space. Mm. And I embrace that. Right. And so as I'm starting to get a little bit older, I, I'm still young by the way, but <laughs> as I'm starting to get a little bit older, I'm starting to think about what my future is going to look like. And so I plugins felt like a, an amazing way to lay the groundwork for a future mm -hmm. in the music business that mm -hmm. would allow me to uh, influence the next generation of producers and mix engineers and creators and artists, singers, songwriters, whatever allow me to influence them in other ways, not just from the music that I make, but the products that I make now. Mm. And by the way, creating products is just as creative as creating music. It's the same part of my brain that I use. Like sure. when I'm trying to come up with innovative things in a mix or how do I make this mix stand out or be different? Yeah. Same, same thought process. And how do I come up with a plugin that's new and unique and mm. nobody's seen before and, and done? And I think we, we've really, um, uh, you know, we, every plugin I do, I try to have at least one feature in it that you haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's been, a, in, it's been an amazing road. And by the way, I have a long way to go on the plugin sure. side. It's still in its infancy, I have to say, but I'm fully doubling down on all of it. I'm reinvesting every dollar that I've ever made back into research and development, back cool. into new products, you know, back into marketing and adver advertising, all that, and building a business mm -hmm. that will sustain itself. That mm -hmm. when I'm sleeping, I can I can go to sleep, you know, with at ease, knowing that the business is functioning and it's running and it's a well oiled machine and, it, sure. and it's working smoothly. And that's something I never had in in music ever, even to this mm -hmm. day. Um, you never know where your next paycheck is going to come from, and so you're in a constant hustle mode. And yes. what it does is it never gives you the music business never gives you any real stability mm. unless you have like some massive hit and you make $10 million. And then if you know how to spend it and you know, all right, don't blow it and, and be you know, responsible. Sure. Right. Then you're good. But that's like, that truly is the, the outlier 
Um, you mm-hmm. know, most of us are working people, and and even if you make several hundred thousand a year, or even half a million or a million dollars a year, whatever, you're still kind of like, you know, your expenses are high, and you never know it can stop in one month. And that mm-hmm. I sort of learned that through the Beyonce right. um, project, and I said I I want to create a business that will will last, and so that's so, why I did it, and it's a great business to be in. I love it. Absolutely. And and are you only selling the plugins and sample packs on your website or ha- are you on Splice? Are you on no, the, the other di- outlets? We have distributors. Um, okay. We have distributors. Uh, we're constantly trying to grow that distributor uh, uh, network. Cool. Uh, and so we've actually done an amazing uh, job. Jason, who I, I just hired, he, he's mm-hmm. been actively focused on building out the dis- distribution network. Uh, and we've we've had a ton of uh, success and, and progress there. How does that work? I'm not familiar with this side of the business very much. So you create a sample pack, you create a plugin, other than like going to Splice and be like, hey, buy the, you know, make it available. Like, who are the distributors in the space, or how does that even work? You know, the 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 plugin boutiques, the Sweetwaters, the guitar centers, uh, the oh, sure. JRR shops, the KVRs, the audio deluxes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have an amazing distributor in China. I have an amazing distributor in Korea, Gear Lounge, who I do a ton of work with. And, and um, yeah, I mean, wherever, any music store, any place that you would go and, and buy your plugin. And, and, but also, of course, I have a direct-to-consumer on DJSwivel.com. You can go yes. and buy them there. And, you know, I always encourage people to buy it there. But mm-hmm. we also incentivize distributors where, hey, um, you know, plugin boutique, we're going to give you an exclusive sale for two weeks. You're going to get it for, get all of our plugins for 30% lower than what we're selling them for. So sure. it's encouraging people to go buy it from the distributors as well, because we want those distributors to, um, to help us build our brand and promote our brand and get it in front of their customers. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that and it's a, it, it's cool. all new stuff that I'm learning along the mm-hmm. way. And I'm, Trust me, I've made plenty of mistakes, and I'll continue sure. to make mistakes. But sure. hopefully, I will learn from them, and and uh, we will we will have this running fairly smoothly. Soon, cool, so. I look forward to it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, in terms of the, um, I'm speaking of making mistakes, um, so with Skio, there is this uh, feedback uh, side of the uh, of it, and I, I think that's great. I think you know every producer, artist, songwriter, everyone could use some feedback. Throughout your career, how have you sought out feedback and how do you how well do you take criticism and how open are you to criticism and where does that come from? Um well I'm I'm very open to criticism of my music. Mm. Uh I think that's necessary. I think it's good to get people's opinions. I think it's good to share with people. That being said, um you know, everybody has an opinion and, and, uh, you know, you take it for what it is, a single person's Mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, but you know, if you're going to work in music and you know, this, you, you, you work in music, like you need a thick skin. Not everybody's Mm going to love what you do and it's impossible to please everybody, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we are a unique, every, every person is unique and has their own, um, uh, uh, experiences that they have, that have shaped and molded them. And so, um, you know, certain people have tastes because they grew up on this type of music and certain people mm-hmm. have tastes because they discovered this thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to get feedback from people, but also, you know, if you really believe and love what you're doing, um, you know, 
stick to your guns and, and, and focus on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, having self-awareness is really important, not just for your own musical feedback, but also just self-awareness in the studio. If you're working mm-hmm. with other artists, you know, it's like simple things like knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to speak, knowing mm-hmm. when to, you know, jump up and, and assert yourself, knowing when to sit in the back and let somebody else handle it. Like a lot of music is, is uh, you know, you're working with really unique personalities, right? Artists, I think in general have very tons of idiosyncrasies that, that, um, that, that make them unique, that make them an artist that we all care about. Right. And, and not just artists that we know up and coming artists that we don't know. Everybody Mm -hmm. has their own little, little, uh, quirks and, and things. And so I, I, it it really does working in music serve you to be very self-aware and know, Mm what's going on. And, and some people are oblivious to that. And that's another reason why unpaid internships are important. You want to see, can you put somebody in the fire with a big celebrity and have them not fanboy or girl out and like, you know, not say have a nervous tick, right? It can be nerve wracking. The first time I ever met, uh, Beyonce was like, my heart was like, I was like, this is, I, I better not screw this one up. This is like, this is the queen. Like, so, um, that that's that these are these are true and honest emotions that all sure. people feel uh the question is can you can you manage it can you mm-hmm. can you deal with it and be mm-hmm. a professional and and uh and do that and so cool yeah. no, that's great so yeah. you moved from new york to la uh yeah. what is your opinion on the music hubs of the states right now new york la nashville why are you in la and where yeah just w- why did you leave new york well uh simply put i left new york the same reason why um well i, I not, not true i left new york for a couple of reasons but largely uh, it was an unsustainable business in New York. Mm. Uh, rents in New York are incredibly high. Uh, there was not a lot of work happening in New York. Most of the studios had shut down so mm. that if the studios are shut down, there's not enough places for artists to work. So they, you know, go to LA and work in Miami and Atlanta mm. and things like that. Um, and at the time I was like breaking up with a girlfriend and it was like a messy one. I just was trying to get as far away as possible Um, I was already thinking, you know, I was nominated for a Grammy that year. Um, and I went out on for the Grammys and had such an amazing trip. And I said, you know, like I could really see myself living in LA and I moved like three months later. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of a, a, a confluence of a number of things, but largely like the business, I was not making much money in New York in, in Mm -hmm. early 2015, and on top of that, I, I, I wanted a change of scenery. I felt stagnant mm-hmm. and like that I was not growing as an artist or a creator or a producer. And so mm-hmm. I just felt like I need to just have a, a, a dramatic shift in my life. Mm-hmm. And moving mm-hmm. to LA was that dramatic shift. Not only cool. that, a lot of my friends that I kind of grew up with in the music business in New York, they had all, most of them had already moved to LA. Mm, so, yeah. so it's not like, like I was moving to a place where a lot of my friends already lived. Sure. Uh, so it made a ton of sense and by, it was by far the best decision I had ever made. Um, you know, cause literally I made 10 times the amount of money in the next year, like wow. literally add a zero and, and, uh, and, and that's kind of what the next year looked like for me. So 
uh, yeah, it was cool. Have you yeah. done sessions uh, in Atlanta, in Miami, and Nashville? Do you know those markets? That, I mean, I had uh, Zaytoven on the on the show uh, yep. not too long ago, based out Atlanta, of Atlanta. Right? Atlanta, yeah. And so, you know, uh, obviously hometown pride and, and talked about uh, Gucci Mane and, and just like the the scene of Atlanta. And, you know, it seems to be thriving there. But I'm curious um, from and, and yes, pop is, is gigantic in L.A., of course, hip hop still. Uh, but I'm curious just from your perspective and your peers, what you're hearing about where these hubs are and if you think it's staying in LA for, for a while and you think the work will stay solid? Um, well, it'll be interesting to see how we emerge from this COVID thing because sure. this has shown that not just in music, in any field, like you can work from home. Yeah, And I think we're seeing a ton of businesses. I think, did, did Twitter not say that they're encouraging any employee who wants who decides they want to uh, work from home, they're more than welcome to after this is all done. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of businesses are going to do that. And and I'd be curious. I don't have the answer. I'm not a uh, you know um, psychic, but but I would imagine that will have some sort of impact over where people are working and how they're working. Sure. Um, but I think LA is always going to be a hub. It's okay. Hollywood, right? LA is yeah. always going to be a hub. We got the sunshine. Um, yeah, <laughs> of course. And uh, and Atlanta for R&B and hip-hop music, I think, mm-hmm. is like always going to be a hub because there's just such a rich culture uh, of those genres down there and a ton mm-hmm. of people, uh, influential producers and artists who choose to live there and not move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami as well. There's a ton of artists working in Miami, similar yes. in the hip-hop, uh, certainly Latin space and hip-hop yes. and and uh, R&B and, and things like that. Um, pro- pro- also, you know, uh, I, I'm sure there's a number of electronic artists down in Miami as well. Cause you have the, mm-hmm. the ultra hub down there and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time in Nashville. I've, I've done a few, uh, talk in Nashville. So I have been to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Nashville, like for, uh, certainly country and rock and even more pop music. Now, I think there is more of a lane for that down there. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nashville, is a hub for the labels, So artists are always going to be down there. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think those are going to be the hubs. And, and cool. while New York still has some things happening and of course, most of the labels headquarter are head headquartered in New York. I just don't know if economically New York can work sure. anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an Island with finite space and no, and, and there's a, there's a mental block. There's a mental hurdle with going to Brooklyn or Queens right. or Jersey to go and record. Yes. There's a mental hurdle when you have to cross a bridge or cross a body of water to go to your, <laughs> there's something, I, I genuinely think that there's a hurdle with that. And mm-hmm. also all the labels are in Manhattan. So, you know, you, most artists who come into New York, they're coming in to do their label meetings, whatever it is, sit down with their A&R, their product manager, whatever, and then jump in the studio and then mm-hmm. go to a nice restaurant. And so you want to be in Manhattan, but just the studios, there's very few studios that can uh, that can afford to live in Manhattan. I mean, you have Jungle sure. City, of course, they've been crushing it. And I, mm-hmm. I was actually the first client ever in Jungle City. They opened early for Beyonce and I. Oh, wow. Um, but... Uh, uh, there, but beyond that, like, I don't know what other studios, ex- I'm sure that, you know, there's, I think Germano, there's Germano studios and a few other ones, but sure. there's just so little happening there that, 
Yeah. Um, when the creatives leave, yeah. when the producers and the songwriters and whatever leave, uh, there's, there's not much left. The rent just skyrocketed, and that's a thing. And because everything used to be located in, well, a lot of it's still located in Manhattan, but because rent was virtually impossible for artists in Manhattan, they kept spreading out to Brooklyn, to Queens, and further and further. Whereas, like, even in the live music space, we're talking like, you know, Lower East Side. 10, 15 years ago, that was the hub where all the venues were. It was hopping and people could just were living on the Lower East Side as well. And so there was this scene right there. And I was then, down there, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. when rent started to skyrocket, it started to push the artists out. So the scene starts to collapse because like you really want to take two trains for 45 minutes at 2 a.m. after, you know, you you finish nope. the, the scene. No, no one's going to want to do that. No, not at all. <laughs> right. So and it's, yeah, it's, like yeah. And, and there was always like there's always like very high level artists who will want to remain in New York. And that's yeah. cool. But the truth of the matter is the culture, mm. the shifting of the culture and the move and what's happening is not at with the high, the biggest artists. It's with mm-hmm. the emerging talent. It's yes. with the people who are on the cusp of some of greatness. Those are the ones that are driving the culture. And it's like, and it's not just the artists, it's the songwriters who are almost there. It's the producers mm-hmm. who are almost there. And if, None of them can afford to live in a city. They're all going to go to a place where they can live. And you can mm. live in LA. I mean, LA is an expensive city, but you can live in LA very cheaply. You can yes. find a room for 500 bucks a month if you have yep. to. Mm-hmm. You can there there is cheap place in L, in LA, but you're not going to find any you're not going to find that in New York anywhere. Sure. Um sure. now I have heard I, I can't speak to truth on this, but I have heard that the rents have started to come down in New York and mm. that COVID has had a fairly significant impact on, on the, the power structure and, and the, the financial structure of how everything is happening in New York. Interesting. I can't speak to that firsthand, but I've heard that. Yep. Um, I have uh, a music producer friend who continues to live in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to actually be my roommate for a year and we lived in the same building. Um, uh, and he, uh, and he said, yeah, like the, the, the purchase prices of condos have gone down. Actually. Ah. So, um, time you know, will tell to see what's, what's happening with, with yeah. Rent and real estate. I mean, post COVID everything could shift. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. very, very yeah. curious. Well, Swift, it's been, uh, super enlightening. I really appreciate, uh, the time and, and this has been incredible. Uh, I have one final question that I ask sure. everyone who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? You know, the timing of this question is impeccable because today <laughs> on my YouTube, I, every, every Friday I drop a video and now I have three series and I, I cycle them. So every week, so this week was a story time and it was a story time about the first moment I ever felt like I made it and I'll let you go watch the video. But in short, it was when I was working with DJ clue and he shouted me out on a song Wow. With the echo, the clue echo. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, he is forever, uh, you know, immortalized me yeah. in a mob. It was a mob deep song. And I was like mob deep, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he's like, DJ clue, 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 fast shout, DJ swivel. I see ya. And I was like, like, it was just such a, this was er, very, very early in my career. I hadn't even been interning for a year yet. It was like, I had been interning for like six months or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he didn't have to do that. I didn't ask him to do it. He just did it. And I was like, man, that was such a nice, nice thing for him to do. And it made me feel like I made it. I say that to say there is, I don't have a singular de- definition of making it. 
Mm. Um, I thought I did before I started. I was like, oh, making it is what, you know. And then once I realized it's, there is there is no finish line, right? The mm-hmm. whole thing is making it. It's a journey, right? It's about building a whole story that you can mm. look back on years from now and 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 share with people. And, and that's what I've been trying to do with the story times is share my personal insights and lessons that I've learned and those moments that I felt like I made it and, and, and moments that I fell and, and, and tripped up. And, mm-hmm. um, and so for me, making it is constantly evolving. My goals change every single year. Now, my definition currently today of making it is when I have a self-sustaining plug-in business that can pay to employ people, I can, I can, I can be an employer and provide people, you know, a, a, a comfortable living and, and, Mm -hmm. and hopefully a job that they love. Um, I'm not quite there yet. Um, I just hired my first employee and it's like, you know, it's, I, I don't even want to pretend like, like it's like an, an easy thing. Like, you know, that business, um, I also don't believe in robbing Peter to pay Paul, meaning, um, taking money from one business to support another. I believe every business I start, it should support itself on its own. Mm. It shouldn't require you to dip into your earnings from a successful business to like support one that isn't working. And so yeah. I'm bootstrapping the plug-in business, mm. hired my first employee, and I would like to hire more. By the way, when I say hire my first employee, my first person who's like, an actual employee. I still, of course, have my development team. I have my web team. I have all these other people who I pay, but they're consultants. But this is like your W two on salary. This yeah, is my yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm e- like exactly. And and employee. I would love to get the entire team. Right now, I have a team of one, two, three, four, five, six. Well, five people, and then a a, a company like an ad agency that I hire that. Sure. You know, whatever. I guess they would never be an employee now that I think about it. But regardless, I'd like to get to a point where everybody, you know, has benefits and has mm-hmm. like, like whatever. And I'm not quite there yet, but I'll get yep. there. And, um, that yep. is my current goal is let, let's get that business to a self-sustaining thing that I can go on vacation for two weeks. And it, I got an amazing team who can help Beautiful. continue to run it. And I, then I can focus on coming up with amazing plugin ideas and new product yeah. things and sound design and sample packs. That that's where I'd love to be. I love it. DJ Swivel, yeah. thank you so much. This has thank been you, great. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.